Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padomaro, and Hats on Lambs. It's episode 101. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little analysis and play tips thrown in. So before I get into what, what we're doing this week, I just want to say, Hats, you blew me out of the water last week. I think we can officially say episode 100, best Farming Eternal podcast episode we've ever had. And before you say anything, try to be modest about it. Just know everything you're about to say, I'm going to delete from the podcast. Everything? Everything. I just know you're a modest guy and you wouldn't want to admit how great, no, how much planning, how much thought. Yes. You know, you played it coy week after week, and I, I really, for you had me nervous for a few weeks there, but you really pulled out all stops for that episode 100. Well, you know, sometimes you just have to go nuts. And you did. I'm, I cannot wait for everyone to listen to that. Yeah, me neither. I also can't wait. <laughs> Here's but, to uh, a great episode 200. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, so... After such a great episode, I was really racking my brain on how we could best follow that up. And the only thing I could think of was to have a great guest. And so we managed to do that. We have Pachi here, rank two drafter, right behind Isomorphic at this current second. But there's still time in the month, so you never know. So hello, Pachi. Hello. I appreciate you guys inviting me on. I'm looking yeah, forward to talking about excited. One of the reasons I asked you on is you've been doing some uh, co-streams with, I guess their Twitch name is Just Call Me Al, their real name is James, and their eternal name is Paid to Win. A little confusing. but um, That's all correct, been, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but you've been doing That's some co-streams with them and a couple other really good drafters, and they've been really great to listen to. And you guys have had some... I think a unique perspective, or at least a perspective different from what we've kind of been seeing, um, or the, and then the people in our Discord have been playing. You know, you guys have been drafting a lot less aggressive decks and a lot of primal decks. We've also talked in-game a bunch and about primal, so I kind of wanted you to come on and enlighten us on the best ways to draft primal in this format yeah i'm definitely looking forward to it i, I think that uh i think that you're right that the stream that i'm kind of partaking uh on uh we tend to experiment i think a little bit more um and kind of go out of our comfort zones and that's kind of where we've found the a bit more value-oriented decks to actually still be able to hold their own um but that wasn't without some pain <laughs> and it's kind of like learning uh, you know, trial by error. But um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to sharing those thoughts. I think what's what I'm really excited to talk about and share is kind of like, I feel like a bunch of people have been getting, at least in our Discord, a little burnt out on this format and feeling like, like play draw matters too much and they're getting power screwed too much and that aggro is too strong. And if I think a, some people are feeling a little despondent, like, they're not able to win unless they also draft aggro. So the fact that you've been having such success with other decks, I think, will be a great 
uh, thing they talk about and hopefully sort of revitalize the format for some people. Yeah, I hope we can do that too. All right, so first off, uh, we have some announcements to talk about, which is plugging our Patreon over at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes, some recording bloopers. There might be some this week, I imagine, as well as a shout out. Uh, so thank you to Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low-Key Trickster, Mercurial Blue, Abinego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hamrit, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistout. And in some other exciting Patreon news, Demo got their popcorn. They made some popcorn. It was a success. And then also, we are going to be harvesting our garlic in two weeks. So pretty soon, Garlic Tier will be able to choose between popcorn or garlic because we'll have new garlic in. So yeah, that's a, that's it for Patreon news. So uh, how was exciting. your draft? Yeah, <laughs> I was hoping you would say that sooner. Huh? <laughs> well, you can edit it so that I do. <laughs> I will. <laughs> so how was your draft week, Josh? This is going great. It was fine. It was a fine draft week. Um, I've to some controversy. I've been uh, playing on my alt account because I was. I was just sort of sitting around at rank one for a little while, and and as as I'm not a, a good enough person to just keep playing my main account when I'm at rank one, I have no incentive uh, to because the game takes that away, and uh, it's a very privileged thing to ha- uh, to to um, to be upset about, I guess, um, <laughs> because there's only one rank one person at any given time, and I think it's very common once you're there to just say, oh, I guess I don't play anymore because I would like to keep that that shiny number one. So I was playing on my alt account, um, and I guess uh, I, I guess I, I there was some controversy on one of on a stream. Uh, someone played against me and was like, I don't like uh, when people have alt accounts. But like I say, uh, you're kind of incentivized to play on an alt account if uh, you've had enough success in draft and you don't want to jeopardize your rank. In order to take away that incentive, they would have to take away ranks. <laughs> they would have to take them away, and especially they would have to take away whatever that like medal or whatever it is that they give you now for getting a high rank. They would have to take that away completely. Uh, so well, they, they that sort of is taken away, I think. Oh, it is. Oh, that was around for like what a week? What <laughs> like two months? Well, the medal no, the medallions are just for getting to masters. Oh, okay. Then that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, they haven't. They're not doing the thing with with general rank. I don't know. I mean, it's really only a problem if you get to rank one, I guess, so it's not worth complaining about. I don't want them to make any changes. Um, so yeah, I was playing on my alt account, and I don't want to be playing on my alt account uh, and then running into people who were ranked way lower than my main account is, uh, but that's unavoidable until I rank up that account. So hopefully I've done that now. I'm getting matched up against you know the people that I'm used to getting matched up against with that account, so that shouldn't be a problem anymore. And now I, you may encounter me in English or you may encounter me in French, depending on my mood. And that's the way it is. <laughs> um, but I've, uh, I haven't been having the runaway success that I was earlier in the month. And I think that's because people have been playing, uh, have kind of wised up about how to play against aggro. And also, I think people are taking the aggressive cards a little more aggressively uh, so that they are not 
available in groups the way they used to be. Like at the very beginning of the format, you could get a thousand Ursa squadrons, as many as you wanted. And people now understand the card and they are taking it high. And I think all of the other aggressive cards are now being taken higher too. So it's harder to just get all of them in a draft and get some ridiculous deck. So I think an aggro deck that doesn't have all of the key cards isn't nearly as strong as the ones that I was drafting near the big more near the beginning of the month and the format. So uh, now I think it's a better strategy to draft more value oriented mid range decks. And it's been a little bit of an adjustment period going back to that, but I've definitely had some good decks and had some really silly decks like splashing multiple factions and things that still did well. So I think it, I think the format has a lot more legs than it's being given credit for. It would be nice to have something like scout or plunder in the format to make decks more consistent. Definitely. That would make it feel less swingy, but uh, there are things you can do to mitigate the uh, power screw and power flood. So um, I, I'm kind of back to to thinking that the format's fairly wide open. And there's a lot of successful things that you can do. Cool. How about you, Pat- Pachi? Uh, I've definitely had uh, successful drafts the last week. I actually dropped somewhere in the 20s or rank 20s or something like that. I don't remember what after some unsuccessful drafts, but this week uh, got me back up to rank two. They pretty much, I think, all but one deck has gone seven wins and the one that didn't was i think five but i don't remember i don't i don't like log them um and uh of the ones that have been most in- interesting to me <laughs> they've th- their three were huru and one was Arjunport. um and my current one is also Arjunport and looks really strong um so the common theme here is that uh, i think uh, justice is probably my favorite faction and um i don't see that changing anytime soon I, it just feels like it's always open it feels like even if i'm not getting bears i'm getting alchemists or um i don't don't know what it is i guess it's just the strength of the commons i think mostly bear and alchemists probably um i feel like they can carry you through most of your your games and um like to that point i one of my seven wins was had six alchemists um and i never felt like i didn't want them (laughs) they were always good um so so yeah it's been a pretty successful week um and I've been definitely enjoying the the, the format. Um, I I actually left a journal during the last set because I felt that martial efficiency and auto tread were so unfun to play against and honestly with. It was like, oh, I played this card, I've won the game. Um, and you don't see it as much anymore. So um, I'm glad that uh, they don't uh, ruin the format for me as much anyway, <laughs> at least um, as often. Yeah, it's interesting. So are, you're so far okay with like the power level of a card like Behold the Truth, which I think might be the closest analog to like uh, I win card like Martial Efficiency and Auto Tread in this format. Um, I do find it a little silly. Um, I think that it uh, is. I do think it is a bit of a problem. Um, and I think the main issue I have with it is it should probably be at least time time influence, like double time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think so that you can't so easily splash it. And I also think that uh, the fact that I like I've been surprised with how many times I've been able to play it at one cost and have that win me the game. Like people are saying, oh, yeah, you have to wait till seven, though. If you can get to seven in this aggro format, then you deserve to win. But I've won by casting it at one mana and the overwhelm and just 
that extra maybe five or six damage is just enough in a racing situation. Um, I, I, I just feel like it's just, yeah, it's too flexible, it's too strong, too splashable. Uh, but the only thing that maybe balances it is that it's in time, and I actually think time in general is a weak uh, faction in this format. So unless if you have Behold the Truths, uh, I don't know if you should be playing time so aggressively or, or so frequently. Hmm. So, so you're not a believer in the open way supplier and populist controllers. Uh, I guess I, I, I guess I <laughs> feel like it never. My suppliers never hit the right things. Um, I've tried making decks where it's like, okay, I just have a couple suppliers, but then that means you're playing populist controllers, and that, so that means you probably have nurturing sentinels, and so uh, it just feels like it doesn't really hit for me the, the right way, but I definitely have had successful decks with that. I mean, I've had I've had a good Xenon deck uh, where it was just all ramp uh, into like Ministers of Abeyance um, for like a, a flying threat and removal. Um, so, I mean, you can you can absolutely do it and it, and it will work. So I, I, I think people who like those cards, um, it's, it's more preference than it is uh, um, that they're just like not out, like just, just not good or anything like that. I, I think they are good and playable and they, they will find a place in this format for sure. I've been fascinated Whoa. watching a couple of uh, draft streams where people will say see a populist controller pick two and be like, great, let's take that. Because it is a six drop that can be chump blocked, and normally you don't get excited about a card like that. It's very hard to block and kill, but it's also, you know, it's a six drop. Uh, that it's not like uh, it's not like Grodov's favorite where it silences something on the way and it was literally just a big thing. Um, so I think it may be a little overhyped because it often is the finisher in a deck that is otherwise good. Uh, so it feels like it's the card that wins you the game, but I still feel like it could be just about anything. Uh, it doesn't have to be populist controller specifically that wins you the game after you take control of the board. It, it's kind of interesting because I feel like I this week I've been looking at some of the drafts in the main Discord and just people's opinion there. You know, just trying to get people's opinions from different sources. And time does seem to be pretty hyped uh, by the drafters there, which is kind of surprising. They were taking populist controller uh, really high and playing lots of them in their decks. And I mean, I, I guess that makes to me more sense now that the format is slowing down a little bit, but that's still not a, a strategy that I've had success with yet. Yeah, and me neither. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've had trouble, yeah, just dying to flyers and stuff, even. Just trying to get to my populist controller. I do, and then I'm still dead in the air. Yeah, or they yeah. can stun it or... You know, right. they can topple it. There's so many ways of dealing with it. Yeah, so uh, as for my draft, finally got out of my 3-3 slump and managed to draft uh, two winning uh, sort of above-average decks. One of them, I went 7-0 with a, an Elysian deck that main game plan uh, was to play a bunch of flyers and units with high toughness to stay alive and then draw behold the truth and then win the game and that turned out to be a very effective strategy but it didn't really have popular i might have had a populist controller in it but it wasn't like 
that was the way to win the game. So, yeah, that's mine. And then I immediately followed it up with an 0-3 to bring me back down to earth. Um, but That's good. You don't want to get a swelled head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I drafted a super sweet Argent Port deck that went 3-3. So I might be back to my getting 3-3s every draft. We'll see. That's good. It's good to know who you are. Yeah. You're comfortable in your skin. It's totally, totally average. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to card of the week? Yes, let's do it. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Pachi, you have a good one. What's your card of the week? Uh, it's Recycle. It's uh, actually my favorite card of the set. Um, but I was interested in seeing, I guess, what your guys' thoughts were on Recycle in the draft format specifically. Um, outside of Behold the Truth, I have been having difficulty trying to find a place for it. Um, I mean, you, I know you can use it as just like a negating their removal and you get some value out of it, but three one ones at the end of the day aren't really uh, going to, I guess, carry you to victory. Uh, you need something to support them. And, and uh, in your last episode, at least the one that I, I listened to most recently, uh, you guys were talking about how there's not really much sacrifice and there's not really much benefit to having these 1-1 tokens on the board. Um, so I do like the card. I wish I could find a place for it in this format so I could use it more. Um, and I do think that there might be a place in Stonescar with a Shadow Sketch. Uh, but outside of that, I think it's mostly Praxis, or it's a Praxis-oriented card. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think about it? That's been my experience with it, too, is that it's an interesting card that doesn't really have a home in the in the present makeup of the format. Like, you see a card... Um, I mean, like, if they, if they had boosted Horn of Plenty... I don't think it's boosted at all. I, at least I don't see them very often. Or if they just had given any other support to a go-wide uh, strategy um, at, at common or uncommon, then it would make sense. But since they have downplayed Sacrifice as a theme so much, it feels like it can only really have a home in Stone Scar. And then you're kind of setting up to sacrifice things more than once, weirdly. Like you sacrifice something to get the with the recycle, and then you sacrifice part of your recycle uh, bounty in order to do something else. And it just feels like you're spinning a lot of wheels. Why not just leave out the recycle and sacrifice the original unit to the card that actually does something? And uh, so, yeah, I, I think if there were if Praxis had actual go wide support, which it doesn't really, then Recycle would make sense there. But right now, yeah, Stone Scar and a handful of Stone Scar cards is the only place uh, where it seems to make any sense. And it's kind of hard to know whether you're going to see any of those cards because most of them are in the draft packs and not in set 11. So it's tough to pick up an early Recycle. Um, I think there we've had one deck that has been posted in our seven win. This, uh, in the Seven Win channel on the Discord that was genuinely a token go-wide deck or very early on in the format. I was like, that's going to have, that should have had some recycles in it. Uh, but it's just not a winning strategy, so it feels like a little bit of a waste of an uncommon. But if they change up the draft pack significantly and really emphasize go-wide kind of stuff or sacrifice stuff or both, then recycle will be have to be totally reevaluated. 
Yeah, I guess I just have trouble imagining where this, where or when this is good. Like, what what are we adding besides for Horn of Plenty or some more unit buffs, like maybe a Beacon of War or something? Like, is that the only thing we're thinking of to make this card good? Yeah, I think... I think I, yeah, I think that... Uh, the the fact that there is very little go wide support outside of praxis and and then maybe some stone scar for sacrifice stuff um yeah. makes makes it just unusable in like skycrag and um rakano I, I i just don't know like maybe maybe rakano can like buff up with weapons like challenger's axe and stuff like that but that's i mean you might as well just buff up a stronger unit at that point um yeah yeah, the fact that this is a fast spell is kind of interesting to me because it kind of reminds me of Devour, how, you know, de- one of the best ways to use Devour is to, like, not negate an opponent's uh, sort of kill spell, but sort of uh, dull dull the edge to it by then devouring that unit. Um, but... It just feels like getting three, doing that to an opponent, you know, against an opponent's topple or something, and then getting three one ones, just feels like so low impact that uh, I don't know. I I just I have trouble envisioning playing a lot of these in draft. I guess, which might be just a lack of imagination on my part. Did we say what the card actually is? It's a two-fire fast spell, sacrifice a unit or relic to play three one one Grenadine. It does say relic, and so there's another way that they could support this card uh, by putting more, by by boosting more cards uh, that get value as relics and then can be sacrificed pretty freely. Um, like uh, it, like getting three one one units at fast speed is good. If the thing you're sacrificing mm-hmm. isn't um, is no longer valuable to you for whatever reason, yeah. you know, even like sacrificing a Blitzstone to get three one ones at fast speed should be a good card. Uh, it's just that you can't actually play it on two unless you've somehow gotten a relic or a unit that you want to sacrifice down already. So it's never a tempo card; it's a value card, and then you really want to be able to get some kind of value from it, which is where the sacrifice comes back in. No, I I think that's actually really good because even on three, that's you know that's just an assembly line. So if you kill something on two with Blitzstone, and then sacrifice it on three and get three one ones, you know you're you're doing something. But again, you need more than that to win a game. I guess. Yeah, you need to amplify them somehow or sacrifice them somehow. Uh, it's just that you don't usually want your draft deck to have to jump through a lot of hoops to accomplish things <laughs> and recycle <laughs> requires you to sacrifice some sacrifice something and then also find value in the thing that you've created with the recycle so it is a lot of hoops you want your draft decks to be more straightforward than that usually yeah it feels like the the best case use for it is probably alongside metal thing and behold the truth and outside of those very specific cases it seems like there's like like little, very little support for it, so um, yeah. I hope I hope to uh, have a draft 
a 7-1 draft with it soon, and then I'll post it to the Farming Internal Discord, and we can see see how that deck worked. But uh, at the at the moment, I don't think I actually have one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Or like I think maybe something like a deck like in last format. Again, it's Stone Scar, but that involves like a lot of Grenadines and you know making your Shoal Dredgers cheap. Right. I don't know. Yeah, if you can get your hands on Shoal Dredger. I, I think, is it, isn't Azalio in the format, too? Uh, I could be wrong on that. Uh, but if he is, is that, that's a use for him. Is that a rare? Yeah, it's a rare, and it's I don't even know if it's boosted. But it would be in the middle packs, so... Mm-hmm. All right, so speaking of cards, you have to build your deck around a little bit, Hats. Yeah, I chose this my card of the week, Spear Dancer. And that is a three fire time, one one flyer. Uh, it is a soldier bird, and at the end of your turn, if another of your units hit the enemy player, spear dancer gets plus one plus one. Uh, this is a card that I've seen. I've also since I uh, since since I haven't been playing on my main account that much, I was watching more Twitch streams, and I've noticed that spear dancer gets put in quite a few decks. And I was under the impression that it was nearly unplayable, <laughs> and so I was surprised. Um, I've had Spear Dancers played against me. It never seems strong. It seems like the, it takes a lot of work to even make it a 2-2, let alone better than that. Um, and it feels like a card that only is good, meaning like a 3-3 flyer for 3, um, if you put in a lot of work, like a ton of work. And uh, that doesn't seem like something that you that should ever be drafted, and certainly not isn't a reason to go into Praxis. Um, but I've seen other opinions uh, sort of bandied about online on Twitch, so uh, maybe I'm missing something. Uh, but it does seem to be a card that uh, that that is unplayable unless you get very unless you have a board position that that. But basically, you have to be ahead for it to be good, because you have to be hitting your opponent with something other than the Spear Dancer already for Spear Dancer to even be okay. Uh, and then you have to continue doing that for the Spear Dancer to grow anymore. Um, and once the Spear Dancer is on the board, your opponent it knows now, don't let anything else hit me, or else just kill the, kill the Spear Dancer and I can solve this problem really quickly. It just, um, I've never seen anyone play a Spear Dancer and then win a game, is what I'm saying. Has, am I missing something? I think what do you think, Pachi? I, I think that that's a pretty accurate uh, assessment of the card. I, I think, I mean, it can certainly win games. I mean, I'm not, I, mean I, I have seen it win games against me. I have won games with it. Um, but it does feel like uh, like what you said is true. You do have to work very hard to make it happen. Um, and I think one of the easier ways to make it happen is with uh, Vanguard, Mercenary Vanguard. Um, but that that way, if they're still blocking you, you're still at least hitting them um, and making it grow. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to make work. It often gets removed even after you buffed it once because it only has two health. Um, if you can get it to three health, you can get into a situation where it just like, like just takes the game. Um, but I usually avoid playing it um, unless I have some really good synergy for being able to hit them directly. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the key points is that it won't buff itself. It needs to be another unit. So like you said, you need to have be ahead in the sense that you have other units connecting or have a mercenary vanguard um, online, which is the one that if you attack with two units, they each deal one damage to the enemy player. So that will also trigger this. Um, you know, I, I guess, yeah, the... The use case, I imagine, if if you do have like a Praxis deck and it's like a go wide and you're hitting with smaller units and then you play this, it grows a little bit and then this can get in to do those last few points of damage, I guess is maybe the I ideal case in my mind. But again, maybe you just want to play any other unit also. Um, so I don't know. I agree. It's kind of like it. It does seem like it. It could be interesting, but I think the fact that it doesn't buff itself is a real hindrance for this card. I can see it if you need a slot for something that is is reach basically is like the damage that you do after you've already su successfully mounted an offense, and then your and your opponent has stabilized, and so now you need a flyer, say. Um, and so if you just assume, well, this is probably just going to be a 2-2, two -two and I'm not going to expect it to be any better than that, it's not the, it's not like a, um, it's not like a bomb that my opponent is not going to be able to deal with. It's just once my opponent has exhausted their resources, now this is my reach to do those last few points of damage. Sure. But I think there's stronger and more consistent ways of doing that most of the time. Um, but if you, a deck needs a certain amount of that, and so Spear Dancer is fine. And so it, then it's more of a, it's more of a reward if you happen to be in Praxis and you, and you need something that will fill that function. Whereas a lot of the other two faction commons in the set are reasons to be in those factions, like Skullbreaker and Noble Enforcer, like cards where. Uh, where you, you think, oh, maybe this should be the two factions I'm playing because these commons are so strong. I don't think Spear Dancer can possibly be that. Yeah. Yeah, I put it much closer in power level to, like, the Elysian one, the 3-1 uh, the uh, stealth Azri that can sometimes gain flying. Oh, sorry, you can go, Pachi. Oh, yeah, that's how I compare it. To, I was thinking about the same comparison. I compare it to the Elysian one as, as well. It It feels like just okay i can maybe make this work it might win me some games uh but it just feels like you have to work a little too hard for them um and they yeah. don't always materialize and when they don't then you're playing a really bad card right exactly and it's definitely not a pull into the color pair like some right. of the others yeah. are all right so uh my uh pick of the uh, or card of the week this week is uh fire sketch so uh, this is slightly inspired by our uh, two episodes ago when we talked about uh, when we rated the rares. And I think that uh, people responded really positively in a lot of senses. People really liked us putting manacles way up top <laughs> and agreed that no one likes to play against manacles. But uh, I think... Uh, we had a couple controversial cards in there, and it seems like the sketches, having the sketches as high as we did hats, was maybe a little controversial. Oh, well, maybe I should read some of that controversy. 
yeah, well, I'll explain. I guess I'll talk about it here. So okay, yeah, just uh, let me know. It was kind of well. It was it was kind of funny timing because we had just released the episode, and then I was over in the main Discord. Someone had posted a uh, pack one pick two, and they had taken their pack one was really weak. Um, so they had just taken sort of a random card, um, and then their pack or their pick two had. A fire sketch still left in there. Two bad uncommons, and then just some regular old commons. And they were like asking what they should go. And then the consensus seemed to be to take the justice drone, the the three cost two two that could gain flying or plus one plus one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I would take fire sketch. It's a pretty good card. It's a power comes into play undepleted, it's splashable, has a pretty good effect on the game. And the general consensus in the channel was that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Which was funny because we had just recorded an episode where we had said we would take it over... What's that card called? Skysweeper, I believe. Skysweeper. Thank you, Pachi. Oh, yeah. I'm glad someone listens to us. Yeah, I certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that would take it over Skysweeper. Um, and it seems like Drone is much worse than Skysweeper. And uh, I guess this kind of summarize their point is they said in order for this card to be any, it takes six power for this card to be any good because you have to pay three to get the relic and then another three to exhaust a unit. If you're an aggressive deck, you don't want to spend that much power. And... If you're a controlling deck that has a lot of power, you don't really want to exhaust units. It doesn't help you. And so then in terms of quadrant quadrant theory, it's unplayable if you're behind, unplayable during development, and only okay when you're at parity or ahead. So in summary, it's a totally useless, unplayable card. Uh Uh-huh. I disagree. <laughs> I would disagree as well because it's not really taking up a slot in your deck. It's a power card that has late game utility, and the utility of fire sketch, at least uh, out of out of the sketches, is uh, pretty strong. Um, it can definitely be a late game win condition. I mean, can you imagine making three of these and then you just exhaust three of their units every turn? I mean, it it wins games, but it's not something that is necessarily going to, um, like, you're not going to, I guess, build your deck around it. It's just going to be something that you can splash in whatever colors you're playing. I mean, um, and it's nice when you have it. Like, I, I don't know. I think they are vastly underestimating how powerful it is to have a card that is both a power and a spell. Um, and this is also a repeatable effect. And so saying something like, oh, it takes six power for it to do anything is a little disingenuous because you can do it over and over and over. The the effect doesn't go away after you've spent six power. So it it gives you a permanent advantage on the board that your opponent has to play around every single turn. They are essentially down a blocker constantly and they have to play that way so uh 
I think they're I think they want more dramatic immediate effects from all of their cards, but the fact that this doesn't take up a slot in your deck um has a dual function as both a power card and as a and as a and a spell with a repeatable effect. And um and and the uh the fact that it goes very well with what fire is trying to do and always tries to do which is attack a lot <laughs> like uh i i don't know I, I i i can stand by exactly where we rated it uh two episodes ago um because i've uh I, i've never been disappointed to first or second pick this thing and then just play it in my deck and have it be this constant uh boon to my deck without taking up um without uh, without taking up a, a slot for 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 another type of card just having it in my power cards is is great um and then it's more powerful than any of the runes because it is a repeated effect and because it can have a greater effect once you reach six power and nine power uh i don't know i think it's exactly like we evaluated it last time and like the main discord has a lot of different ideas about how to draft than 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 we do and i think that there's a lot of good approaches to draft but i do think that it's easy to get into a kind of tunnel vision once you have a, some theory in your mind about how to draft limited um how to draft eternal rather uh and and it can be hard to break out of that and it feels to me like that kind of tunnel vision their analysis of this card is being bad yeah yeah, I think the thing that it, it, this card is, it's just like the sketches are just really interesting to me because I do think when you're like trying to like argue for how powerful the card is, it's very easy for someone to just say, but like you would never play a, th you would never pick a three power relic. You know, you would never play that relic in your draft deck. Yeah, if it were just the relic, then right. no. But that's not what the card is. I know, and that's what's really that's what's really interesting to me because it's like they're like, well, this card is horrible on three, and you're like, no, it's great on three. It's an undepleted power on three. Yeah, and right. so if you have a better three drop, you play your fire sketch, and then you play your great three drop. If yeah. you don't have a three drop. You play your fire sketch and you amplify it, and you're a little sad you don't have a three drop, but at least you got to use your three power. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I also think that the what you were saying, Hats, is, is absolutely true, how it's not really taking up a slot in your deck. And um, I think that might be just way too undervalued. Um, I, I haven't had problems finding enough playables in this format, unless if I'm really trying to force something and the colors just aren't open. Um, so being able to just pick up runes and sketches whenever you can uh, to be able to just have your power actually impact the board state is a huge boon. And it puts you puts you way ahead uh, if you're able to draft a deck like that. Yeah. And one of the nice things about, I think, the sketches in particular is unlike almost all of the other power cards that do something, uh, you know, this is always undepleted and it's always a power card. You know, we had the standards that at five power uh, transformed into a spell and that was great. But if you had a six drop, 
that was kind of a pain sometimes. Fire sketch never does that. It's always just an undepleted power. So it's just like so much more, it's just so flexible. Yeah, and it shares yeah. with all the sketches share with the runes the fact that they can be splashed without putting any additional uh, power from that faction. You, like you don't have to play also fire sigils in order to play a fire sketch. You can just throw it in there if you if you if your influence requirements for your deck are pretty light already. Uh, you can splash sketches and runes really easily, and it's just almost always pure upside. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, uh, I'm glad we all agree on that. Mm. Yeah, it was just interesting because I also, I brought the draft pick over to our Discord and, you know, it was interesting that a bunch of people uh, said that they would take telekinetic shackles over sketch, which was also surprising to me. So it was just interesting that this was like a card that, yeah, I don't know. There's a, a lot of differing opinions on. Yeah, but I just think we can agree that both of those picks would be better than Mod Ready Drone. I, <laughs> I also agree with that. Um, which actually gets us into our seven-win run breakdown. Uh, kind of interesting. Kind of interestingly, which is our long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal. Uh, Pachi already mentioned it, but uh, people can send their seven-win drafts to uh, farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them in the Discord. We have a seven-win channel, and we put all that information into a spreadsheet, and we can do some data analysis. Pachi has been, I bullied Pachi into submitting a bunch of lists this week, and and uh, he did, so thank you, Pachi, for doing that. No problem. Happy to share my lists. And uh, I can't uh, shout out any of our other contributors, which is another benefit. Uh, you get for submitting less because we still haven't figured that out. But I do want to give a thank you. Um, after uh, I mentioned uh, two episodes ago about how John Holio was away for a little bit and there was no chance in hell I was ever going to get any of the lists entered. Um, and so we were going to have to not do that for a while. I had the brilliant idea of just asking for help. And a whole bunch of people messaged me and offered to help. And so I want to thank Saitar, uh, uh, Abarash, and uh, Celtic Guardian for offering to enter some lists. And so all the lists have been entered, but we still haven't figured out. Only John holds the key uh, to figuring out who has submitted a list recently. So uh, without, without John, we're still unable to do that. But all the lists are submitted, so you can see them. We now have 232 lists. And the big news is kind of like this show is about. Primal has been on the upswing, still nowhere near the other factions. Um, it has a lot of catching up to do. But it's on the upswing. Cambrai, best faction, most represented faction by far. Uh, of the 231 decks, uh, 57 of them feature Cambrai in them. And then the next highest is Argentport with 41 of the decks. And then most excitingly at all, Telekinetic Shackles has reached our number one top prime or top time common. So it oh. is the number one most appearing common in all of our time deck lists is Telekinetic Shackles. Oh, I must be, I must be some kind of a soothsayer. 
some sort of a future telling <laughs> savant. <laughs> That's great. You can just call me Hatstradamus <laughs> because I knew that telekinetic shackles was a good card right away. Oh, I'm going to take a victory lap and you two can do the rest of this episode on your own. I'm, gosh, I just feel so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I first read that card is totally unplayable, and then we had our episode, and you had convinced me otherwise, and I must still not be taking it high enough, but people are sure doing well with that card. It's definitely uh, a really strong effect, and um, I was actually really high on it at the beginning of the format, and I've come down on it since, uh, since then. Um, I still think it's very strong. I still think you want some in your decks. But uh, I think you can have too many. Um, I don't know what that number is yet. Um, but I've definitely been in situations where I've not been able to retain my board state and then having the shackles in my hand uh, aren't doing enough for me because I, I'm saving a 1-1 supplier is <laughs> not really going to help you. Yeah. Do you think that number is above a single copy, though? I think it's probably around two. Um, yeah, but I'm not 100% sure where where it is yet. I avoid time, so yeah, yeah. I I agree that there is probably some drop off to the utility of the card. I do know that in my time decks, whenever I'm losing, I'm always I don't know. Whenever I lose, I'm like, man, I really could have turned that game around if I had drawn my telekinetic shackles, and so. I think whatever number it is, it's probably higher than the number that is currently making my decks. But, yeah. My my very favorite thing with Telekinetic Shackles is uh, is when somebody plays Detonation Cannon and amplifies it. Um, and then I Telekinetic Shackles my opponent. And so their, uh, their detonations do zero damage to me. And then there's a pause. <laughs> there's always a pause because their next step after doing damage to my face was to be was to kill one of my units and now they have to think about it because their entire plan is is ruined <laughs> their detonation cannon isn't going to do any damage either and they just sit there for a while it feels good every time <laughs> and it felt especially good at the very beginning of the format when my opponent just didn't understand what had happened and they detonation cannon. They I I tell it kinetic shackles. They they didn't do any damage with the spell, and then they still confused about what was going on. Smacked their face into one of my units with a detonation cannon, <laughs> doing no damage and destroying their weapon and taking face damage. It was not a good day for them. <laughs> I think a lot of people overlooked uh, initially. At least I remember when when I was like watching people draft the set in the beginning like when it very with the very beginning um and people were overlooking the fact that it could stop spell damage um and be like oh that's not that good um i mean even even if you couldn't use it on an opponent's face it still has a lot of utility for being able to like triple block a unit for example but um and you know not have any of your units be at risk but the fact that you can put it on your opponent's face stop weapon damage stop spell damage just it does make it a a good a good effect a nice a very powerful utility effect that it's hard to get anywhere else. All right. And uh, so if you'd like to see what other uh, commons uh, or uncommons are doing well, as well as the spreadsheet, you can join the Discord 
and uh, see the rest of that there. But we do have quite a bit to talk about still probably. So we'll move on to our main topic, which is sort of uh, Pachi's impression of the format and then more specifically how one might have success with uh, Primal. So uh, first question, Pachi, is what's uh, your overall impression of the format? What have you been doing well with? Um, I would say that initially my impression of the format was kind of what we touched on a little bit earlier, which was that uh, it was very aggro and it was uh, very play draw dependent. Um, and that I, I did not enjoy that experience at all. Um, and so I pursued uh, some more value oriented decks and uh, I definitely failed a lot at first uh, before I kind of figured out where I where where I wanted to be and uh, I found out that for my preferences that Huru uh, was that place. Um, I I think that most of my uh, uh, value-oriented decks that have been successful have been Huru, um, and I think that value can be drafted in this format effectively. Um, and a lot of it kind of spawned from how this format was at how this format played out in the beginning, which was people would see a stealth unit and they would literally just throw a blitzstone at it or throw a detonation cannon at it because it was removing most of the stuff at that point. Um, people were looking at the cards that were very powerful in the beginning, um, which a lot of them have two health. A lot of the stealth units that are powerful have two health. Um, and once people learned that, people were like, okay, well, I'll take all these three health ones now. Um, and at that point, um, people started playing a little bit slower decks um, and that allowed value to kind of thrive. Um, so I do think if you're drafting aggro in this format, uh, it may be play draw dependent. I haven't really found a way around that yet. Uh, it does seem like Blitzstone is the answer. Um, I think you can, comp like if you're on the draw and you have Blitzstones, you can definitely turn, turn the tempo around and get ahead of your opponent. Uh, so I think that card is pretty important if you're in fire and you're trying to play aggro. Um, but outside of that, uh, if if you wanted to play value, I, I think that Primal is one of the places to be. Um, and that's primarily because of, uh, I think, Lightning Strike and Wisdom in the, the middle packs. Um, I think that those cards are what you want to be looking for. And all or both of them are boosted 20 times So you and at common. So you can pretty reliably find them. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like Wisdom. I've seen that a lot of people are like, why well, do I don't want this in my deck? Um, I see a lot of people cutting it because they have concoctions in their deck, and I don't think that that's necessarily correct. Um, but uh, that's mainly because concoction is a late game draw spell or a late game um, like win condition if you have Berserk. Uh, Wisdom is an early game draw spell to get you the early value you need. Um, the try, trying trying to find the answers to what your opponents are doing so that you do not die to aggro because um, the aggro decks definitely still exist, and you need to have a way of dealing with them otherwise you you will just get out tempoed and you won't be able to get to your win condition whatever that may be okay uh do you mind uh, explaining a little bit more in depth what you mean by value decks yeah i uh, i think you want to prioritize cards that can get you two for once and, and that can come in a lot of forms um just some examples in huru i i would say are like reliable troops it may not be at first glance like a two for one um, but yeah, you get to draw a card, uh, you get a power at some point, and maybe you trade with something at some point. Um, or, or the more standard value cards, like I mentioned, um, Wisdom of the Elders. And, and, and the reason that I consider Lightning Strike a value card is because you can pretty easily get two for ones with it. 
um, they try to use a combat trick like a Noah's or something like that to blow out your double block and you, it, it just turns around on them. And, and, and honestly, it's such a huge swing that um, that often enough is how you can win a game with Primal. Um, just, a, just a single two for one with, with that. Um, I do think uh, like I, 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 Primal has a lot of weird cards that are sort of value oriented in this format, like Cyber Hyena. Um, you can usually trade with trade trade something for your cyber uh, with your cyber hyena, and then you also get to draw a card. So uh, why wouldn't you want that? Uh, it, it's kind of how I view it. Uh, but a lot of people are like, oh, it has reckless. This is trash, you know. Um, so or better yet, your opponent uses removal on it, thinking that it's something that they need to deal with. Um, so yeah, I think that there's just a lot of different ways you can get value in this format, and and mostly that's just going to be looking for cards that can get you two for ones or better. Like concoction can get you better than two for one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess my other question is, um, do, how important do you think the buff to freight Azri was for thinking that you know primal and these value decks are possible? Um, I think it was pretty huge. Um, so a unit having one health or sorry one attack in this format is a huge liability because of the existence of valor uh cuz it's not contributing anything to the combat math at that point um and having two health or two attack allows you to actually make some blocks with it um i i think that uh the fact that it gives um uh face aegis was probably something that was underrated uh initially even when it was a 1/4 uh, because after I've taken it more now that it has become a 2-4, uh, Face Age just stops detonation cannon. It stops telekinetic shackles to allow your lightning strikes to get through. It stops manacles. Um, uh, I, I've had opponents at an end of the game just cast their manacles to show me they had it. Uh, you know, and all that t- all, all all game, I had no idea that, that if they had found a way to pop my Face Age, just that um, I probably would have lost. Um, I, I, I think that the... The face just is actually really valuable in this format. It, it stops ransack as well. A lot of people, I know that that card's kind of uh, hit or miss with some people, but um, it stops ransack. Like I, I just think the utility of it is pretty pretty strong. So the fact that it's a two four now is is a big deal because it actually can materialize into a win condition for you too. Once once I had uh, both ransack and manacles in a deck, and uh, my opponent had played a Freight Azri, and so on one turn, I played a Ransack uh, and discarded a card <laughs> and, and just had it fizzle on their face ages. And my opponent probably thought that I was playing very badly, but I <laughs> had to because I had a Manacles in my hand and I really needed to cast it on the turn after. <laughs> but it felt bad. It felt bad to to throw to like throw away two cards on a face you just the turn before I'll tell you. <laughs> I yeah, would have preferred a, yeah, to I, have I both things work. The the buff to Freed Azri has really affected the ratings of a lot of cards. Like Ransack can be like a huge liability now. Um, that Primal seems to be drafted more and Freed Azri is such a good card. Yeah, there's not a lot of ways to just incidentally get rid of a face aegis, you know. Um, I guess shackles is actually one of them uh, because you can sort of amplify and just get rid of their face aegis if you don't need that effect. 
Um, but other than that, there's not very many things that can that can do it without putting you down a card. Um, yeah, and then the other question, this is kind of a card I wanted to ask you about later, but um, since you've mentioned Lightning Strike, um, it's interesting to me that you didn't mention uh, Boiling Geyser. Um, is one of the reasons because it's sort of impossible to get a two-for-one with Boiling Geyser? Or uh, what's your feelings about that card in general? Um, I don't know if I have... Uh thorough thoughts on this, but it, my experience with Boiling Geyser has been very underwhelming. Um, I, like, even when I'm, yeah, removing stuff with it, it, I mean, that, that, that feels pretty good, I guess, but I've had it be dead in, in my hand a lot, um, and uh, I don't know, I just, I haven't been able to make it work. I think it's because you often have to tap out when you're playing at least Turu. Uh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a, a, a home for it, um, but when you're playing Huru, you have to tap out a lot, and uh, holding up even one power sometimes is a, a big deal because e- your early game, if you ha- if you haven't been able to like draft a bunch of bears, for example, is probably going to be pretty underwhelming. Um, so you're trying to figure out how to stabilize, and that's usually through like cyber hyenas and freydazries. But if they play something as simple as a common, like like uh, I guess a genius combatant, and you don't have the ability to hold up your boiling geyser for that turn. It's going to punch through your freight asries, um, and freight asries, freight asries four. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe there is a way to hold up more power. But uh, if you if you hold up power, don't develop your freight asri in that example, uh, just to, to kill a, a combatant or something. Um, you know, it'll work out for you. But what if they don't play anything? What if they're just getting to populist controllers and you're falling behind? Like, I, I don't know. I I haven't been able to make it work, which is is funny because I, I really liked Fatal Misstep, um, <laughs> and they're very similar in and how they work. Except you had to hold up two power for Misstep. But I think the difference for me is that Misstep doesn't have the health condition on it. Um, the fact that it can remove anything means that if they play a unit, I will likely be able to kill it, uh, barring a few exceptions like Aegis and stuff like that. I've actually had more luck with Boiling Geyser in more aggressive decks because then I'm more able to, I'm more easily able to hold up power because my curve is very low down to the ground. You know, like you have to make tempo plays for the first few turns of the game, but then often you'll have, uh, if you're ahead on board, then you can hold up power to take out uh, potential blockers. And that seems like when Geyser does pretty well. Um, I I don't want to like, like load my deck full of them, uh, but I, I think that's for for me like Skycrag type decks that are very aggressive uh, can make better use of it because then you just need very efficient removal rather than powerful removal because your opponent's probably not going to be able to to park a really big unit in front of you. Yeah, that's actually been my experience with uh, Fatal Mist up as well. Is where I want it is in an aggro list. Um, right, exactly. And so I can see that that's where you would want to be using Boiling Geyser because it's very similar. Yeah, and I I agree. And I also think Boiling Geyser, uh, there are definitely exceptions, but so many units have three or less health that it does hit a surprisingly large percentage of units, even though, you know, it, it, it can get outclassed, but it will still hit quite, quite a lot of including most of the three-cost stealth units. All of them, but I think Nurturing Sentinel. Yes. Yeah, and, Re- and Reflector, I think, is the only other. Oh, sure. Hats, you uh, you mentioned 
Skycrag. And I know that this is a deck that you've had some really great Skycrag decks in. And it's also a deck that Curtis Lee um, was a big advocate for. Um, so do, do you want to talk about how Primal fits into a Skycrag deck? Well, Primal gives you some... Oh, Wild Azri is, is key because it is a very aggressive unit, 2-1 flyer for 2. And um, I think what makes it work is that you have a lot of cheap removal spells. Uh, you have things like Blitzstone and Detonation Cannon. You have Boiling Geyser. Um, there's some uncommons in the draft packs uh, that are good offensive removal, such as Permafrost um, and uh, like Polymorph, things like that. Um, and then you also have all of the tempo stun cards that Primal has, uh, such as, well, there's quite a few of them. There's Frost Glaive. Uh, there's the just the simple one that does uh, that stuns two things for three power. Um, that's been around forever. Flash freeze. You got frostbite. A lot of these cards are boosted right now in the draft pack, so it's pretty easy to to get all the ones you need. Um, and you don't need your opponents to uh, to lose their units permanently because you're putting down efficient units like uh, like foot soldier and three one with valor and uh, and you're putting down flyers and you pretty much just win on tempo. Um, I found that it's not as easy to draft as I thought it was uh, back when I was building it up. I had two very, very strong decks, and then I haven't been able to really replicate that since. It's just been so easy to draft good uh, Fire Justice and uh, Shadow Justice decks that I tend to default to those because you just get good cards and then win with the deck. So why would I stop doing that? Um, but uh, but um, I do think that, like, I've, I have drafted Skycrag a few times and had decent decks, but if you don't get hooked up in the draft packs a little bit with some of that uncommon removal and at least a few really good stun cards, uh, it's hard to it's hard to make it it's hard to make the Skycrag deck like a, just a total juggernaut. And part of that is that in the draft packs there's not a lot of flyers and there's not a lot of those big uncommon flyers that you really want to see. Uh, I think it really hurts Primal every set where they don't print a couple of, of uh, or where they don't boost a couple of really big, uncommon flyers because that's traditionally how Primal actually wins games. And you don't have, if you don't have those, uh, then you have to put it together some other way, um, and uh, that can be that can be really difficult sometimes. So you really have to have uh, that. Uh, I've seen people actually put together more mid-range Skycrag decks. Um, and just uh, use the like two power, like the two attacker synergies, like uh, um, uh, the 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 relic that makes things grow uh, when you attack with two tandem units. Tandem training, tandem training. Uh, Burnished Grenahawk is a great card for that because it it uh, it's a one four flyer for three that can be a four four flyer uh, four four flyer for three if you pump power into it. So. It does. Uh, it does a pretty good job of of just being able to attack when you don't put power into it, and then hitting like a hammer when you do. So I think that the, uh, the tools are still there for Skycrag to be a good deck, but you do you do kind of need those strong tempo cards to make it actually successful. I think because that's what keeps your opponent from putting down larger things than you and just racing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the way you get into the Skycrag deck 
is that you end pack one with a bunch of aggressive fire cards. Um, maybe you picked up a wild Azri or something. And then in, like you said, pack two or three, you get some of these, uh, these tempo uh, primal spells and then pack four, you sort of wrap, round things out and so you're it's kind of a, a a weird you know it's a it's a primal deck but you're s sort of getting into it through fire yeah i think that can that can be true uh it, mainly because the the primal cards in the first pack aren't going to be uniformly aggressive <laughs> there's just yeah, gonna be right. wild ass wild... and that's it yeah or grenahawk but again that's a two color card and um yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's very strong when it comes together, but it's not as easy to get into it as it is to get into any deck with justice in it because the individual cards aren't quite as strong. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next color pair uh, we wanted to talk about is Elysian. And I kind of mentioned uh, sort of my thoughts about Elysian um, in how my draft week was. I, I think the trick with Elysian is you have a lot of really good blockers in Elysian. You know, the the card we keep mentioning, you get Freed Azri, um, and then Time just has a slew of them. Um, it has Nurturing Sentinel um, as a, a cheap, really good blocker. There's, of course, Populous Controller. And then in the draft packs, there's Tower Top Patrol. You get Archive Curator. Um, and so you can you sort of have the cards that can hold the air, they can hold the ground, and then time has a bunch of great finishers. Primal has those stun effects, um, and so you can just kind of like figure out a way uh, to win uh, by holding the you know sort of holding the ground, holding the air, getting some chip damage in, and then hopefully you. You have a finisher like Behold the Truth, but even like Populous Controller with some stun effects can can do a lot of damage. So that's kind of how I've seen Elysian decks uh, win in this format. That's more or less how it's worked for me. Um, I haven't drafted a ton of Elysian, but what I like about it is that you get access to tutor effects um, and... Uh, and I like those. I, I like drafting cards like Conspire and Turn Back Time uh, so that I have actual control over what I draw. Because again, this is a format without Plunder or Scout to, to speak of. So I, I welcome any card that gives me a little bit more control over my draws. And uh, cards like Conspire and Turn Back Time and uh, the blue card, uh, the primal card that, that gets... Uh, Amplify cards um, and realign uh, the stars. Realign the stars and just draw cards like Wisdom of the Elders gives me control over the flow of the game, which is very hard to to find in other uh, faction combinations. Elysian is where you get the most of those kind of cards, and I kind of dig that. Yeah, I do think yeah. it is a, a value-oriented color pair. Um, I, I have seen two successful Elysian decks used against me, and uh, one was the Ring of Glamour, like launching Azri, like a bunch of nurturing Sentinels. Basically, all their units were stealth units. Uh, you know that the Berserker got the the Merciless Officer, the four five Berserk, at, at least at five costs, um, and 
that deck was pretty powerful. They had a lot of value. They they supplemented it with like Wisdom of the Elders, like you mentioned, uh, Ancient Lore even. Um, and the other one I saw, they they were playing two copies of Ancient Lore, at least two copies of Wisdom. Uh, they had Bottled Insight, and they basically were just drawing their entire deck. They had Eileen as a bomb to get to. Um, and I mean, it was, it was a really powerful deck. I, I basically stood no chance that game. Um, and I, I think that, that that just really speaks to uh, what what uh, this draft format seems to be about from, from my perspective, which is uh, drafting what's open is kind of paramount. Um, you know, you don't get, you know, Eileen and all this all this card draw without uh, people not picking it themselves, you know, while they're passing it to you, so. Yeah, the Ring of Glam, uh, what is it, Glamour, Glimmer? Yeah, Ring of Glamour, Glamour I think. Glamour. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting card to me, because uh, it is, you do draw a lot of cards with it, but it is not doing a lot at first. And so I've been a little hesitant to draft it, but I have heard some people really like the card, it seems. Have either of you had any success drafting that kind of deck? I have definitely had success with it. I, I had a deck that was uh, two Ring of Glamours, I think, uh, a Tormented Crown, uh, which is the Tormented Crown is the one that, uh, uh, like, after the player takes damage three times, it's a cursed relic. And after they take damage three times or three different turns, it turns into a uh, a, a cursed relic of a different kind and then every time they hit you or you hit them you draw a card and so you basically draw a million cards um and that's then a also, that's a legendary it uh, is a legendary so, yeah <laughs> but i i had the deck supplemented with uh five core taps and then two herbalists for fixing and then the rest of the deck was all stealth units so yeah see that's um, fun it was a lot of fun it was probably the fun i had in this format um Second to maybe one Praxis deck I had, but uh, how about you? Had to have you well, had to... I've I've had a few Elysian decks over the course of the format. I'm 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 trying to find my Ring of Glamour deck because I did have one. Uh, just to remind folks, Ring of Glamour is a two-time primal relic. Uh, it says when you play a unit with stealth, draw a card. After the third, sacrifice Ring of Glamour to gain three health. So. Ideally, you draw three cards with it, and then it gains you three health, and then it's done its job. Um, yeah, I had I had that I had a deck with one ring of glamour in it, and then a couple of amber locks, which draw you two cards and require a lot more power investment, but are you know serve a similar function. Um, but I also had two promenade patrols, which is the two four, uh, uh, three time time rare sentinel that says when you play a relic, your sentinels get plus one, plus one, and when you summon it, you silence each enemy unit with one health. Uh, and that's a fun card to have around when your card draw is all in relic form. Because um, <laughs> it gets out of control pretty quickly, even if you don't play any other sentinels, but I did also have populist controllers and a tomb protector in that deck. So yeah, I, you can just hear the glee in our voices when we talk about our Ring of Glamour decks. It, it's a fun card. And it is strong, you know, if you can stay alive, it's a it generates more value than most decks are gonna be able to deal with. Drawing three cards for two power is insane. Um you just also is have the, to play other good cards, which are, you know, a lot of the stealth cards. Yeah. 
Is there like a minimum number of stealth cards you want in your deck before you put a Ring of Glamour in? I'm going to say probably it's got to be eight. Something around there. Probably about right, yeah. Because I, I had I had the five core taps, two herbalists. And so that's, yeah, I had so like 11 stealth units probably because I, I think I was playing around 18 units. like, um, And it still felt like sometimes I didn't have enough. Yeah, I had I had eight in my in my deck with one ring of glamour, and that felt about right, maybe. Yeah, I guess the one nice thing about ring of glamour is, unlike some other of these like build around cards that have a requirement, this is drawing you into more stealth units theoretically. Yeah, or at least yeah, if you have two you towards ring, more stealth units. Yeah, if you have two ring of glamour in your deck. Um, it doesn't actually increase the number of stealth units that you need to play that much because the first ring of glamour will draw you the pieces that you need to make the second one work. Yes. All right, cool. So now, uh, Pat Pachi, it's your time to shine here. Uh, the next uh, one is Huru. Yeah, I think that I think the general game plan for this deck, um, at least how I like to play it, is to try to stabilize on the the ground um and if you're really not able to you can also just race in the air um with your uh, berserk units the the stormhold concoctions in conjunction with berserk uh, allows you to push a lot of damage um i think that um something that i've noticed from watching some streams is that stormhold stormhold concoction tends to be a card that people like to extract the most value from um and while it is a value card it can also be very aggressive um and some games where I'm even behind, I would would advise a lot of players to just say, "Am I going to win this game at the current with the current state, like the board state? And if I use a concoction now and top deck another concoction, do I have two turn lethal?" Um, and I think that that's a question that I found myself asking a lot with Huru. And if the answer is yes, um, you should go for it. It's one of those things that you hear a lot in card games. You should play to your outs. You should, uh, you should play, like I guess, uh, like I said. So this this isn't a situation where you're behind. So, um, I I think that using it aggressive, using concoction aggressively, and not necessarily for full value, is something that a lot of people on streams do not understand yet necessarily. They just want to draw max cards. They they don't want to push damage with it. Um, but it's your it's your late game win condition, and it can also just be a, a, a swift blow. Um, so I think that that's the reason I like the card so much because it really fits uh, two purposes. And even though I do treat it mostly like a value card, uh, it has allowed me to escape basically situations where I have no business winning a game. Um, and that's why Berserk is probably the most important keyword when you're uh, looking at Huru. Um, I, I think that I'd be looking at Junk Obstructor as a really valuable card. Uh, this is a format with very little plunder. Um, it, the fact that it has plunder allows you to fix your curve uh, and then also be a threat in the end game. Uh, stalking Cyberfang has never been better. I think this is the best format for it. Uh, if you do get it as a 4-4, four -four, um, that's the, the card that uh, is a 3-drop that uh, is a 2-2 two -two, uh, with Berserk, but it is a 4-4 four four if you already have two units in play when you draw it. Um, and 
that that card i i think i i've won most of my huru games with it honestly um that or the merciless officer the the four or five uh, berserk with intrigue um so i think that uh there is an aggressive shell here that i i haven't actually been able to to draft um and i think that there's also a, a, a way to draft huru and that I want to experiment with more, but uh, you want to take the justice units from uh, uh, with with Valor, um, and then you want to combine it with uh, Shield Bearer. Uh, I know a lot of people look at the card and think it's trash. Uh, that's the one two that makes it when you attack with exactly two units, they get plus two health that turn. So uh, it's something that I have had success with in Skycrag. Actually, the same same thing, taking the Valor uh, units in in Fire. Um, and I, it makes your bears, it, it, well, it theoretically should make your bears and your combatants unblockable, um, and you're just going to overwhelm your opponent. Uh, I haven't had a chance to, to draft it myself yet, uh, but I think it can be very powerful. Um, the, the thing with Huru, though, is uh, if it's not open, you really shouldn't be trying to force it. Uh, the, if you're not getting good primal cards in pack one, uh, like Freight Azri, um, I don't think you're going to have success with it. It's uh, a color that uh, really does need to be a color pair that really does need to be open. Um, and w yeah, without it being open, I, I just uh, even if you have the concoctions, you're you're going to stumble. You're probably going to to lose. Uh, and I've found the color to just be, the color pair to just be pretty technical as well. Like th those decisions, like I was talking about earlier, where should I get aggressive with concoction here? Uh, have changed the outcomes of a lot of my games. So I, I think that uh, really trying to take some time to think about your plays and uh, is going to increase your win rate with the color with the color pair. So so when you say it, you think it should be open, are, are there still like specific cards that you're looking for to like truly signal that Huru is open? Um, uh, yeah, your your ideal five drop in the in the faction is the merciless officer. Um, if yeah, second to that is I think inquisitive alchemist. So uh, those the, the inquisitive alchemist is the justice one actually. It's uh, the four four that buffs the top unit of your deck when it dies or goes to your void uh, for, by plus two plus two right. Um, so I think that those are your two ideal uh, five drops. Um, but I wouldn't hesitate to play a Gnashing Displacer, the 4-4 Overwhelm. I wouldn't hesitate um, uh, just because of how important Overwhelm is. Like, so, so that's the other thing about Concoction. If you're using it as kind of a removal spell where your opponent is forced to jump you in the air, um, I, I generally don't like that. Uh, it, can, it can be useful to remove a threat. Like I've, I've, I've forced a Dicro to jump, as an example. Um, so... You know, it, it does have its uses for, for, for that purpose, but generally you want to be getting the value off of it or, or the damage off of it. Um, so, so yeah, I think Merciless Officer is the key card that you need to be... Like if, you're, if you're seeing Merciless Officers, that's that's a signal to, to move into to Primal, uh, and Huru specifically. Um, it, it's, sounding, it's sounding to me like Stormhawk, without Stormhawk Concoction, a lot of these cards aren't really at their full potential. Like, Merciless Officer is always going to be a good card, but Junk Obstructor is probably, if you don't have Stormhawk Concoction, there's not really a replacement for Concoction to make Junk Obstructor good, is there? Um, 
there is there's a there's like rune of law and finest hour so so like that's part of and, and like the inquisitive alchemists right so there's ways to get stats onto these berserk units um but but if you don't have concoction i would advise you to try to find like dive bomb for example so that if you are getting stats onto to these these units through other means like the inquisitive alchemist then you still need a way to make it fly over in some way so cobalt acolyte is another one but it, but i don't believe cobalt acolyte is times 20. i don't even know if it's times 10 in the format i've seen a fair number of them so i would guess times 10. yeah it probably is then but but yeah so i mean giving giving your units a way to fly is important but i i yes i, I do think you should have a concoction or even two in your deck um if you're trying to play huru i i think it's a very important card it's definitely the key card to look for um but i i don't think you should be pushing huru um even if you have the concoctions if you're not finding like really berserk like that's the most important one so so berserk helps you deal with flying jumpers it lets you draw an insane amount of cards if they have no flying jumper uh, Overwhelm does the same thing, um, and Aegis lets you punch through like shackles uh, or ensnare. Um, I, I think that if you're fighting Combray, having like the Grizzled Guard, the four four eight Aegis uh, uh, five drop uh, is pretty important. So I, I, I do think you kind of need a lot of pieces. I mean, it, it's something that um, it, it's some it's it's a reason why you need a lot of I guess value-oriented cards are these like card draw cards like Wisdom of the Elders because you don't know what color combination you're going to be fighting. So you need to be able to draw to your specific answers for those specific colors. Um, so Aegis against Shackles, stuff like that. Isolate uh, also is a good counter to Stormhall Concoction. So Aegis is a good counter to that. But yeah, I've definitely had a lot of success with it. I mean, it, I, I think that uh, I, my decks for, for Huru also have just been like all over the place. Like I've had those aggro berserk uh, stormhole concoction like lists, but I've also had a list where I had like two exotic purchases, and it was just pure value. Uh, I was getting, I won, I won, I think five of my games, five of my seven games with Channel of the Tempest in my market. Um, I mean, it was just all value. It was just so much card draw. I even I had a Dicro in my list, and I never drew it. In all eight of my games, I lost one um i i never i never drew it not, not even not just played it like i just never saw it it didn't want to i i was drawing so many cards and that <laughs> dicro didn't want to show up but the deck was still just so strong that it, it didn't matter multiple I've, I've begun i've begun to think that that every time you draft there's one card that is cursed and <laughs> like you and if it's and if it's a sigil you don't notice you don't notice you're not drawing one of your justice sigils but if it's dicro <laughs> then you notice and it's like, why can't I ever draw this card? Because it, it always seems like there's some card that that you forget is even in your deck because you don't draw it in like nine games. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't forget that I had an Azrog in one of my decks, but it maybe forgot that it was in my. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it's it, it was on break. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't think know like, you needed it right away <laughs> after you drafted it. It thought you needed it later. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that's the the thing about who that the list that I mentioned where I won with Channel of the Tempest. That was running two Rolling Fogs as an example. Uh, I, I and and a, and a Nashing Displacer. Like I don't. I know a lot of people see those cards and they're like these are trash. But I had so much card draw that 
all I needed. Like the, the lane wasn't actually entirely open in this in this draft. Um, I needed so many playables. I was so, so short on them. Um, but the rest of my deck looked so good that I just decided that you know what I can I can make this happen. I have the two purchases. I can make a, a really value oriented deck. I just need some units. And Rolling Fog and Gnashing Displacer were enough to just stabilize me and and get me there. Um, and I do think people undervalue Rolling Fog specifically. Um, it's a, it does have three health, and the fact that it dodges two damage removal uh, is a pretty important um, uh, quality in a card um, when there's so much two damage removal in the format. I also think people underestimate um, how even even giving it plus one plus one just makes it a much more versatile card when you draw it a little bit later in the game. Right. I, I actually gave an example of when I was on one of the streams. I like. I think. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Um, just call me Al's stream. He. He. Um, someone in the in the chat. I don't remember who, but was like was just talking to me about the card, and you know they really didn't like it. And you know I mentioned that that very fact that like okay yeah it's a three drop when, and that happens to have three health which is useful. Um, and sure it might be worse than the I think it's called hired cutthroat. It's the three one neutral. At that stage of the game, it might be worse at three, potentially. Like, if you're trying to block a bear, for example, you'd rather have a hired cutthroat. Um, and what you were saying is absolutely true, Hats. The the fact that end game it becomes a 3-4, which I think most people would agree that a 3-4 is better than a 3-1. So, you know, the, the fact that it has that versatility really does improve it, even if I still do think that it's just filler. It's not above average. Um, it's still just a filler card, but it's something that you can still use to fill those gaps in your deck, um, which in this case, the deck I was talking about was a, a, a severe lack of units. So, I think a lot of, I, I, I don't want to keep on uh, sidetracking us, but I sort of see a theme when, when, when we talk about people who are disagreeing with us, which is I, th I think that they often think, uh, they often evaluate cards as though they get to have as many good cards as they want in every draft. And if they don't, then that's some sort of aberration. But in my experience, you never get to have a deck full of just good cards. So you have to be able to evaluate cards that aren't ideal um, and, and determine whether they have a function in the deck that you have drafted. And so cards like rolling fog like you can't just dismiss them because they don't compare well to other cards because you might not see those other cards it's limited and you're drafting so you have to set you you're the question isn't is this two three for three better than a three three for three obviously it's not it's is this two three for three better than not playing any cards <laughs> you know like is it is it is it a card that will do enough in my deck to help the other good cards win games. And I think with Rolling Fog, often, yes, is the answer. Anyway, I just wanted to make that point. No, I absolutely agree. Cool. So. Well, I, I think I think that's a pretty good summary of Huru. It, it's really interesting. Um, I guess the thing that really, you know, calls out to me is, is we're sort of you're talking about it as a value deck but you do you know it's still relying on a, like a lot of these aggressive cards like 
you know, all, like this berserk and overwhelm, which you kind of think of as more aggressive mechanics and units, but then like a card like Concoction just gives you so much value, you end up being able to play both roles, I, I guess is. is right. Maybe so, what... Right, yeah. So it, it does fill both roles, and it's it's um, it's uh, something that, like, if, if you're playing a value deck, uh, at least in this format, I have found there's not many many actual win conditions. Like, I, like, I mean, unless you were lucky and you got, like, Eileen or Dykra, right? Like, and you're working towards that as your win condition. Uh, how are you actually going to win win the game and close out the game? And, and a lot of times you can do that through through just sheer value. But one thing that people have accurately assessed in Primal is that some of their units are understated, like the Gnashing Displacer and the Rolling Fog. So you might have to trade with a Populous Controller with two Gnashing Displacers, as an example. Um, and I have done that. And so even though I'm getting value with my card draw, um, I'm losing value in some of my trades based on stats. So um, how am I actually closing out a game? And that's usually with Berserk and Concoction. That's the win condition you're working towards. So I, I think just to people who are playing against Huru, they should be aware that uh, if, they're not, if, if they're not seeing Berserk cards or whatever, um, they, they might, not need any, might not have anything to worry about. Because um, I think Huru will have trouble closing out a game without uh, Berserk and Concoction in conjunction with each other. Well, I think this is actually a little bit of a level up moment for me because I didn't really have a way into Huru um, to to make it a winning deck. And thinking of cards like Stalking Cyberfang and Junk Obstructor as cards that are actively good in Huru as opposed to cards that um, I'm, I'm going to avoid and I'm going to be forced to play if I end up in Huru uh, is, is probably going to help me a lot um, if I, depending on how much I draft the current version of this format because um, I, I just sort of wasn't thinking of Reckless as uh, as something that there or rather Berserk as something that there was enough of to really build a deck around it but I think if I actually re reevaluate Cyberfang and Junk Obstructor in my head um, then then I, I can probably get there I do think Merciless Officer sounds very important to this deck though and it is an uncommon but uh, you'll see them pretty late in the first pack, so it's still possible to get into this style of deck at any time. Yeah, that's the one thing that's worrying me, is I see a lot of Stormhole Concoctions. I see a lot of Freight Osries. I could have a deck with four or five Freight Osries. I never see the five-drop Uncommon uh, Primal, or the the Uncommon Primal five-drops. They just yeah. never appeared to me in draft. Yeah, actually, I, I, out of all of the cards that I viewed as important for for like Huru and what are the key cards, um, I I think that merciless so merciless officer is the only one that I would mention that's uh, an uncommon. Uh, the the rest of them like inquisitive alchemist and stalking cyberfang. I think he's I think that's a common too. Um, they're 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 all commons, and so that's what that's what you're really trying to build your deck around because like. Um, you you do need the concoctions as a win condition, but um, you can still build a deck without Merciless Officer. I, I think the deck becomes very strong, uh, incredibly strong with Merciless Officer. Like it that that takes it uh, to like the next level. But uh, at the end of the day, Stalking Cyberfang and Merciless Officer do the same amount of damage with whatever buffs you're applying to them. 
So, um, assuming they get through, right? Um, so, and assuming you're stalking if everything got buffed. But since you're playing towards a, a, a board stalled state, that it's ideally going to get get that buff. But um, I, I think there's also some breakpoints in Huru that are important. Um, and if your opponent's at 15 health, um, it, like if, if your opponent's at 15 health and you're trying to play to your your win condition, which is uh, killing them with concoction in the air, uh, that's not a good place to be because they will survive on one. Um, so trying to find ways to get in damage um, before you actually go for the killing blow is pretty important, but that usually involves multiple concoctions. So uh, you may concoction one turn without Berserk just to get them lower. So a lot of it's kind of like building towards your, your Berserk in the air, uh, killing blow, win condition, um, and your entire game plan is centralized around that. So uh, sometimes getting, sometimes just uh, amplifying your concoction to draw, draw to your next concoction is what you need to do. Um, don't berserk that turn. Don't get, don't get greedy necessarily and draw twice the cards because you, you might need that berserk later. So, I've also found that playing against Huru, it's good to keep concoction in mind. Um, just sort of assume that they have it and that's why they're playing Huru. <laughs> so that when, if you see a stalking Cyberfang come down, assume that they're going to concoction it at some point and do whatever you can to protect yourself from that if you can. Right, and I, and that's what I've noticed. The, the the stronger players that I face do just that. They'll leave back like a humbug or something. I mean, or maybe maybe like the I don't remember what the one is called in Styres, the one that that's from Styres Beckoning. But um, you know that one one flyer they'll leave back, and that's why you need the overwhelm. That's that's why you need um, the berserk to be able to get through that. Um, otherwise, a good player will be able to basically stop your entire game plan and. Um, you're probably not going to have a, a good time. So I, I think that's part of the reason that Nash and Displacer is a little bit undervalued um, because it does have a role. Um, I do think you don't really need that many of them, though. I think like one is enough just to fill that 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 role. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So on to our final archetype, which is Falm. Um, Falm's kind of in an interesting place. Uh, we've talked about it on the show, and then... Uh, we talked about it before the show with Pachi that Felm feels like it has all the tools to be like a great stereotypical Felm deck, which is play a lot of removal, control the board, and then win the game. Um, you know, it has Boiling Geyser, which is the one cost deal three when you play um, up to a unit that's played this turn, Rule the Skies, the three cost deal two damage. Or six to a flyer. Surprise raid is the film card. It's the two cost deal two damage. And if you have a stealth unit, draw a card. Lightning strike, deal four, execute, kills a card. Misstep kills, Vara's favor. There's a lot of X ones in this format. You know, even your the new unit, Minister of Abeyance, at eight, you get to kill a unit and play a flyer. And these are all commons. Um, and then there's a lot of great uh, uncommon sort of removal spells, uh, including, uh, you know, the sweeper cover from the storm, which deals three to any non-stealth unit. Uh, but I have found that it has underperformed for me as a deck. And I'm not quite sure why exactly. Do you guys have any thoughts? 
Well, I haven't been able to make it work either, so I am not sure um, how to do it. <laughs> I've seen some people post seven win film decks, but they tend to be pretty aggressive. They're more like flyers uh, and then the aggressive shadow cards and just sort of push through. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that can work, but I, it's a, I don't think there's a lot of support for that strategy. But I think if you get all the right cards, then then it's fine. Um, execute does two damage to your opponent's face, so that's sort of a nice perk if you're playing aggro. Uh, I, I don't know how to. Uh, it just it just sort of seems like Felm doesn't line up. Like the removal doesn't line up very well with the threats that you're likely to face, and um, and then you just sort of fall behind on board because your units are smaller than what your opponent is doing, and you don't have time to get the value out of your cards uh, to actually be able to do better than one for one your opponent in most cases uh, i think surprise raids great when it happens uh, if you can kill something with a surprise raid and draw a card you're obviously way ahead you've also gained two life but um it does take a little bit of setup because stealth units start at three costs so you can't immediately start surprise raiding and drawing a card you can always kill something with surprise raid and not draw a card but um, then you're not getting the value that you need to survive the long game. So I don't know. Um, I wish I could make it work because, again, yeah, it seems like all of the tools are there. Uh, I just haven't been able to quite get there yet. And uh, the overwhelming failure I've had so far has has kind of made me back away from trying too many times. Have you ever given Felna a shot, Pachi? I have, and I I think my sentiments are kind of in line with yours. I. It, sometimes I'll draft a deck in, that's in Feln, and it feels like it should be really strong. It has a lot of the, the value cards that I, I like to play, like Surprise Raid um, has a decent number of stealth units, um, and I've generally not had success with it. Um, I think that I, I, I do think I had one success, successful Feln draft, and if I recall correctly, it had a Deep Cover Operative, actually, in it. Multiple Deep Cover Operatives and ways to give it flying. Um, and so I just drew a ton of cards and was able to outvalue my opponents. But uh, the problem that I've had with it in contrast to Huru is that I'm not actually working towards a win condition uh, other than just get a lot of cards and then just, like chew through my opponent's cards because I have more than them. Um, and that hasn't seemed to be a strong enough win condition in this format because you're probably going to run into something like Behold the Truth or a, a bomb like Dicro, um, and they're going to beat you once they find that card. So uh, you can't just let them sit there to keep and keep drawing cards. You have to have a way to close out the game. And um, I don't know what that is in Feln yet. Um, it might exist. It might just be Feln bombs that you, that if you get your hands on, then you can go into it. Um, but uh, right now it uh, eludes me, I guess. So yeah, not not having a good finisher really really seems to be the key for it. I I can't really even think of anything obvious and uncommon. Like, like, you would want some uncommon finisher, and Primal doesn't have the big flyers, really, and Shadow doesn't have anything hugely impressive. Hypnotic Valkyrie is pretty good. I think that's probably something that you would want in your in your Felm deck um, as a potential finisher, but it's not super resilient. One of the problems with having a whole bunch of sort of understated units is that your opponent doesn't have to exhaust their resources to deal with your threats. 
you know, like they can they can counter your deep cover operatives if you don't have any way of consistently getting them through. And then once you actually do bring out your few big uh, threats like Hypnotic Valkyrie or whatever, they probably have a card that they can deal with. Uh, they can use to deal with it still. Um, and you don't have a bomb on Dicro's level to... Uh, I can't even really think of one in Shadow or Primal. Um, I mean, there's good bombs. There's the there's the least the Bear Rider, but um, the least doesn't win you the game by itself. It draws you into your win condition. You know, it's it's sort of a weird. Uh, maybe maybe I'm missing something, but you also don't have the uh, the seven six uh, shoulder dredger. Shoal Dredger. You don't even have Shoal Dredger boosted, so you don't have like just some big thing to plop down after you've done all of your shenanigans. Right. I I, I think that the key is probably uh it probably involves Glen Sapper, but um you might as well be playing that in Argent Port. You know, it it shines in Argent Port, and it's still good in Felon, I'm sure, just because it's such a good card. But um outside of that, I'm just I do struggle to think of a, a card that you can get your hands on that's going to be a a win con. You know, Shadow was pretty good in the last format, and I think the card that we're missing here is the 4-4 Mandrake for 6 that gets lifesteal and unblockable. Because that was the yeah. finisher. That was the finisher of choice, along with Shoal Dredger, um, that you would get, that you would, if you were playing a slower, uh, or else self-mill-oriented Shadow deck. Um, that was that was your finisher. You you plop that thing down after you've done some trading and stalling, and then you win the game with it. Uh, it's not boosted at all. You know, I haven't seen one since the beginning of the format. It it needs to be a card like that. Yeah. Well, what's kind of interesting is um, I I guess I think back to uh, I to set nine and. Um, in set nine, um, you know, Shab had written a couple articles about drafting Felm in that format. And one of the points he kept hitting on is Felm in that format, you could just draft a whole bunch of removal and then win with literally any card, more or less. And like that format sort of allowed that to happen. And But that format also had, uh, which this format's kind of missing, um, some graveyard recursion, you know, it had that five cost, um, get a card, you know, play a card from your graveyard, and then uh, it also yep. had des- you know, destiny, so you could do it again. Yeah, false times. Um, or I guess uh, draw a card from your graveyard, and then with destiny, you got to do it again and give it f- flying if you were in Fel. Um And so this format doesn't really have any graveyard um recursion so if your opponent does deal with your bomb you can't really get it back but then also i think the aggro decks have so much reach in this format that like even if you remove all of fire's units if they've done enough damage to you you know they can still just top deck a detonation cannon and win the game and then like you were saying with time if you let time have any units stay on board they'll just eventually top deck a whole behold the truth and kill you and so i just think that yeah this is not a format where you can just win with no win condition and felon just doesn't seem to have that win condition that it would require despite seeing seeming like it has the tools 
Yeah, I'll, I'll make it my personal mission to somehow win with Thelm. Maybe maybe starting at the beginning of next month after everybody's ranked for sets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So then uh, finally, uh, I kind of just wanted to uh, do a quick rapid fire, talk about some cards with Pachi, because he, uh, I think he's, of a lot of drafters I know, uh, Hatsier also like this, really like to figure out how to best utilize every single card in the draft format. And Pachi, throughout this episode and just in the streams and talking to him, has sort of mentioned a lot of cards that I think a lot of people consider unplayable or unusable. Um, and so I just wanted to ask his opinion on a few of these cards and how he thinks they might best be used. Uh, so to start with is uh, Tandem Shield Bearer, which is the two primal one, two. When you attack with exactly two units, they get plus two health this turn. Yeah, so I think the place for this is uh, with uh, with Valor. I think that's where you want it. Um, so I think you're probably looking at Huru and Skycrag. Uh, but I have yet to test this, so I, I'm happy to hear other people's thoughts on that if, they, if they're able to test it and be successful with that. But I, I think that's where you want it. All right. Hats, any thoughts? Or do you just want me to keep No, it? I haven't really played with Shield Bearer that much. Um, and I've... I sort of haven't seen it really be good at any point. Um, it definitely increases the survivability of your attackers, but I'm not sure if it's worth playing the one-two for two uh, as a, in a in a slot in your deck. Um, but I want to keep an open mind about it because I, I, it seems like a card with potential. Um, I just haven't really seen it work in a game successfully so far. I mean, it's definitely helped individual attack phases work well for the person controlling the shield bearer, but it doesn't necessarily result in a game win, as I've seen so far. Mm -hmm. All right, then Rolling Fog. We sort of talked about this card a bunch yet, but maybe to summarize what we said earlier. Yeah, just to summarize, it's uh, it's got three health. Uh, don't undervalue that. Um, and the flexibility of being able to uh, just give it a plus one, plus one buff in the end game. Um, even if it's still a little bit understated for five, uh, it's better than other three drops at that point in the game. Mm -hmm. All right, then Gnashing Displacer. Uh, yep, also another slightly understated unit, um, but it's uh, got Overwhelm, which has its uh, utility specifically in Huru. Um, and um, I guess that's that's really the only positive thing I can say about it. I, I think that uh, you probably don't want to play this in in uh, other colors. Yeah, and uh, it is the five primal four four. It has overwhelm and stealth. Yeah, the thing that I get stuck on is it's just so much more than Al or so much worse than alchemist that I like struggle to put it in my deck. But you, I think, definitely outlined a really good use case with it in uh, Huru. I also want to say that it's probably pretty good in Skycrag at the top end of your curve because with tricks like Enoa's Fury um, and some of the other ways that Fire has of, of like damaging other units, the Overwhelm can be the way that you, you finish your opponent. All right. And then uh, next is Cyber Hyena. That is the three primal 2-1 Reckless Stealth and Tomb draw card. Um, I, I really love this card. I, I think that it is... Uh, by far the the best card out of the cards we're going through right now um, in Primal. And um, 
I I think that just the fact that it's almost always two for one value uh, gives it a, a really uh, unique position in stopping um, aggro, like trading with aggro, and then also drawing you to whatever you need to win the game is, is something that it just it just can't be understated, I guess, or, or overstated. I mean, I, I guess the other thing about it is just the just the fact that it has stealth makes people blow their removal on it and getting removal out of your opponent's hand is ex exactly where you want to be um i think that there are some ways that every color has of dealing with this card and i think that it's something that people should probably be aware of if they're actually facing primal and you have cards like intimidator in shadow uh you have cards like gaudy showman in fire um you have peacekeeper and justice uh i'm not sure if time has a really good answer for it um but all of those answers i mentioned basically force it to then attack the following round. And you are able to attack into it because it can no longer block you that turn. Um, and what I like about Cyber Hyena when I'm using it is that if my opponent does somehow reveal it through a non-exhaustion or stun-based effect and they're aggro, they still can't attack into it because my Cyber Hyena is going to trade. So either aggro is stopping attacking me, which is something I want, or I'm trading with one of their units, which is something I want. Um, so I do think that if you're playing against Primal, um, taking cards like Intimidator or like valuing cards like Intimidator and Gaudy Showman and Peacekeeper or something that um, you should definitely be prioritizing in aggro just because of the existence of this this card. Yeah, I have found my Cyber Hyenas mostly uh, trade into Nurturing Sentinels, but... Well, you know, that that's the funny thing. But it, like the floor of the, the the floor of this card, right, is that it still cycles. Sure, it's an expensive cycle. It costs three. Um, but I mean, that's not the entire. That's not the floor because you could get silenced and whatever. You know, all sorts of situations. But um, generally speaking, that's its worst case scenario, and I'm still okay with that um, in general. Um, obviously, I would prefer it to trade. But all right. Um, then next is Rule the Skies, which is the three primal deal two damage to an enemy unit. If it has flying, deal six damage to it instead. And then I guess sort of incorporated, because we had already talked about this card, is Boiling Geyser, which is the one primal deal three damage to an enemy unit that was played this turn. Um, so which of these two do you like better? Uh, I absolutely prefer Rule the Skies, and I don't think I actually mentioned it when I was talking about Huru, but... Um... I, sh I should have, because uh, this is another way that Huru has of dealing with uh, flying threats that are in your way for your win condition. Um, and not only that, but uh, I have found Rule the Skies to be very important, just as on turn three, just using it to remove one of their units, like if they're aggro. Um, that's, it's good enough in a lot of cases just to deal two damage to a ground unit. Um, and, you know, the ceiling of this card is that... Uh, it can kill a Dicro, it can kill a Guardian Angel, um, and I've done both of those things with this card. Uh, so I do like having I do like having this card in my Huru decks, and all of my uh, all three of my Huru decks in the last week have had at least one copy of this card. All right, and so you you don't find the yeah you find the flexibility worth it having to pay three to deal two. Yeah, I mean, it's not if you're dealing three. If you're if you're paying three to deal two, it's obviously not the the best rate, right? You'd rather be playing like Blitzstone if you're or something like that. But um, sometimes it gets the job. It, it's it's enough to get the job done. 
Um, mm -hmm. But it also provides you that answer to a flyer that's in your way, which is how you're trying to win with Huru. So um, I think it's specifically good in Huru. Um, I do think that it's got, I think it has uses in, in, in pretty much all of the colors that are using, uh, all of the factions that are using Primal, though. I, I think there's a place for it. I, I need to experiment with it more, though. Like if you're playing a lesion, uh, like I was talking about how nice it is playing with turn back time, um, you can fire off a rule of the skies at some ground unit that you wanted to to damage to, and then you have it in your void in case somebody plays a big bomb flyer, you know, and you're sitting there with your turn back time with a selection of different kinds of removal in your void that you can bring back. Yeah. And then the a final card that I don't hear much discussed in um, in the draft context. Uh, it has been played in uh, constructed a bunch, but uh, since we've been talking about so much about value, I, I've been wondering uh, what's your opinion on bottled insight, which is the one primal fast spell draw a card, amplify two, draw an additional card, then discard a card. Um, I've used it. Uh... I guess in a couple of decks, but uh, it's not something that I'm prioritizing. Um, I do think it's fine, like if you're wanting to cycle power, but um, since most of my successful primal decks have been Huru, uh, I'm okay with having excess power because it usually involves me eventually drawing cards off concoction. And generally speaking, what I want to be doing with Bottled Insight is discarding excess power. So um, I'm sure it has a place. Uh, I haven't really found it. Um, I I have seen people use it in conjunction with um, what's that? Uh, Maveloft Elite, I think is what it's called. The two-two uh, primal card that gets plus one plus one for every time you amplified. Um, mm -hmm. And I've had people use Bottled Insight uh, with pretty good success against me um, while having that in play. Um, but outside of those like kind of synergies, I'm, I'm not sure if it's incredibly powerful um unless if you're trying to build a deck where you want to be filtering out your excess power so which which obviously it's a good effect for that i for think that the key to bottled insight for me is that you don't need to wait and get a crazy value off of it it's fine to just cycle it on turn one um and just draw another card and sort of shrink your deck by one and then if you draw it later then you can get a lot of card selection off of it um that's what i've I've found is, is fine. I don't prioritize it because you don't need it in your deck. It's just sort of a little bit of um, it's just a little bit of cycling and you might as well have all cards that, that do something rather than filling your deck with bottled insight. But I don't mind using it as filler um, as long as I am not too precious about it and I'm fine just like cycling it for one because cycling for one is about as good as cycling can be. <laughs> So it's not hurting you that badly, but if you have it in your opening hand, then you don't know what card you're going to draw off of it, so it's a little bit harder to make plans. But I do like playing a turn one um, uh, turn one Primal Sigil and then having the option to either Boiling Geyser or something or Bottled Insight uh, to, to prevent myself from having wasted that power. Yeah, most of the use I've gotten out of it actually is as a, a one-mana cycle. Um, so... Um, I do think that there's probably more room for it, too, in, in the decks that I'm building, um, specifically because a lot of the decks I have have specific answers to things. Um, and so, uh, like in the example with, with Huru, like having the Overwhelm against Combray. Uh, so if I'm trying to find not 
uh, I'm sorry, the Aegis against Combray. So if I'm trying to find my Grizzled Guard or my, um, I, I don't remember the 1 3 Aegis, I can't remember the name of that. Um, Bottled Insight lets me cycle faster to get to those cards that I'm trying to look for. So uh, I do wonder if it actually can be pretty good in Huru, even if I'm trying to use all my power. And if you end up in the horrifying, uh, strange conglomeration of cards that I've seen played against me a few times, where you're Justice, Shadow, and Primal, and you've got weird discard synergies, Bottled Insight is one of the few ways of discarding something at fast speed and just plopping a 4-3 down as a blocker off of Rack Tears. <laughs> yeah, that's actually uh, really interesting. I, I, that sounds actually like a lot of fun. And also, Rack Tears doesn't actually require you to have... Uh, no, no, it doesn't. Uh, you don't have to have Shadow. Shadow or Justice in play. If you <laughs> if you want to just make a mono primal deck with Rack of Tears <laughs> in it and ways of discarding it, that is a perfectly viable thing to do. <laughs> well, but viable might be strong. It's a... <laughs> A thing it's you can admirable. Do. It's an admirable thing to do. <laughs> it's an exciting uh, cuckoo thing to do. It's great. It's, yeah. a thi- it's a thing you do when you're jet drafting. It's a thing you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Pachi. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I had yeah. a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed talking about this uh, draft set with you guys. Um, um, it was really enjoyable for me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know if we could have a, you know, like I said, it was going to be tough to follow up episode 100, but I think I think I this episode this performed so admirably. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to listen to episode 100. Oh, I, 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 can't, I, think I can't wait either. I think the episode that I, was... I think I may have blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I think the episode I listened to was 99 then, because uh, I don't think that happened. Nope. <laughs> All right. So I, I think that's our show. Once again, thanks to all our patrons for making the show a success, for getting us past the episode 100 hump. It was all all thanks to you. We really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder, you can give us a five-star rating review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Um, you can join us in our Discord. There will be a link uh, down below in the show description. Uh, please join. Uh, it's a fun place. We have a lot of fun conversations about draft, about other things. Um, you can post your seven win deck lists, discuss those. Uh, yeah, please join. And then finally, uh, thumbs up all Raven Dragons Reddit posts. And don't forget to send in all those seven win decks you do this week, especially with your newfound primal knowledge to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.